Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks, Mark, for reading God's word to us. We've been thinking about work and rest recently on our Sunday mornings, and we're going to do that again today. God willing, next Sunday, we'll get back into more um, uh, expositional teaching through God's word in the book of Philippians. But right now, we're going to continue thinking about work and rest. Ever since the fall of humanity, New Hope, we have all struggled with the tension between work and rest. Both of them are gifts from God but we so often misuse them or, or we focus on one to the neglect of the other. And, and for many people, especially in this part of the world where we live, the problem we have is with overworking and not taking rest seriously enough. It's not the only problem we have, but it's one of them. It's a major one. So last week we saw in the Bible five reasons why people work without resting. And today we're going to think about how we can, in fact, find rest. There are no easy cure-all answers. We live in a broken world, and the fall has impacted every aspect of life here, including work. When Adam sinned, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. His sin brought a curse upon the earth itself, and that affected work. God said, in pain, you shall eat of it, of the earth, all the days of your life. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. You see, the curse changed work. It didn't introduce work, but it changed it. Rest became harder to come by. And the struggle to find equilibrium between hard work and and restorative rest, it's not going to (laughs) end until Christ returns to make all things new. We're going to continue to struggle with this, but we must struggle with it. We must wrestle. This doesn't mean, you see, the fact that things aren't going to be set completely right until Christ returns doesn't mean that right now we can't find healthier rhythms of work and rest. We can, by God's grace. So today, I want to recommend to you what the Bible gives us as a starting point for establishing a rhythm of work and rest that will honor God and will serve you very well. Here's what the Bible prescribes for us, recommends and offers us. In one word, it's Sabbath. Sabbath. We saw this word two weeks ago um, on the opening pages of the Bible where God created the world. He worked. And then it says that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. 
he, he literally, he stopped, he ceased from work on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So it says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested. He ceased from all his work that he had done in creation. And that work there rested is in Hebrew, Shabbat, which means, which is Sabbath, God's Sabbath. And then the very next book of the Bible, we saw this a couple of weeks ago too, God rescued his people from Egypt where they had been worked tirelessly. They had been overworked and oppressed for centuries. God rescued them and then he gave them instructions on how to live now that they were free people. Here's how you live, God says. He gives them 10 commandments. And the fourth one says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Isn't that interesting? All these instructions on how to live and, and, and amongst them, God focuses on this need for rest. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. And on it, you shall not do any work. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when we come to the New Testament, after the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we never hear about the seventh day Sabbath law being reinforced again. After Jesus rises from the dead, the, the seventh day Sabbath law is never repeated. It's, it's, it's never reinforced. What we do see instead is that followers of Jesus, they began to gather for worship on the first day of the week. They called it the Lord's day because it was the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. It took on special significance for all of Christ's followers. So over history, some Christians have said that now for us, the Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath. It replaced the old Sabbath. It's the one day in seven on which we shall not do any work. Now, many Christians believe this. Many of my Presbyterian brothers and sisters and, and some, of, some of our Baptist brothers and sisters, they, they hold that belief. Many great teachers hold that belief. We call them Sabbatarians because they believe that Sunday is now the Christian Sabbath. But there are many other Christians, and, and this is where I happen to fall, who, who point out that the New Testament never calls the Lord's Day the Sabbath. It never equates them. We're never told not to work on the Lord's day. We're never told in the New Testament to keep the Lord's day holy. In fact, we saw this a couple of weeks ago too. Paul the apostle tells us that we don't need to esteem any one day as inherently holier than another day. He says that in Romans 14 and Colossians 2. So it seems to me at least that the, the strict requirement to set apart the seventh day or the first day of the week as a capital S, Sabbath, holy unto the Lord, it seems that that strict requirement is not there after the resurrection of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that the principle of Sabbath has disappeared. The, the, the capital S, Sabbath law, was itself provisional. It was temporary. But there's a principle of rest, this concept of, of regularly stopping work for intentional times of rest, that is deeply ingrained in creation. 
and it's present throughout the scriptures. So as you try to get a handle on your work life, New Hope, it's hard, isn't it? As you try to get a handle on your schedule, rather than just trying to find time off here and there or, or patch together a schedule that works for you, I want to call you back to this ancient practice that's rooted in scripture, Sabbath, Sabbath. It's better than the modern concepts of vacations or flexible work schedules or even an early retirement and other ideas that our societies come up with, which may be good. The Sabbath principle is better. Again, it's not a matter of obeying the law anymore, but it's a matter of living in line with the way that God has designed us. A repeated weekly time of rest, preferably an entire day, that becomes so regular, so fixed, that, that instead of squeezing it into our schedules, your whole schedule is built around it. It becomes a cornerstone of our schedule. Like ancient Israel, we're going to find that doing this requires planning. It requires discipline and self-denial, but it is worth it. What we're going to see is that there is freedom in this discipline. So I want to give you two reasons to pursue Sabbath rest. Two reasons. Here's the first. We don't know when we need rest. We don't know when we need rest. I once heard someone ask an older pastor, um, an older pastor who I have great respect for and I love. Um, someone asked them about his work schedule. They asked, how do you balance your work week? When do you find rest? When do you find Sabbath? And the older pastor responded, I don't really think about that. I just take a day off or an afternoon off whenever I need it. So basically he said, I rest when I feel the need. I thought that was an unhelpful answer. Frankly, I remember thinking, how does he always know? What, what if you don't know that you need rest? <laughs> Years ago, I used to drive a 1985 Volkswagen Golf with a gas gauge that did not work. I could be driving on three quarter full tank or a one eighth full tank and I had no idea. I would have no idea because the needle would not move. The light would never go on. It just sat there. And this was unsettling, as you could imagine. I didn't have money to get it fixed. So my solution was simple. I, I would fill up my gas tank on Monday morning. And, and what I found is that I could, if I did that on Monday, I could commute all week, do all my regular driving, and I'd be fine until the next Monday morning. And then I fill it again, like clockwork. And I was safe. Except one time I forgot to fill the tank on Monday morning. I thought I had done it. I could have sworn I had done it, but I didn't. And I only found that out at about 2 a.m. on the New Jersey Turnpike when I was driving alone and my car stopped. There, there were no gauges or lights to tell me what was coming. Nowadays, I drive a minivan and... Uh, it has, a, it has a display that, that tells me how much gas I have in the tank. It even tells me how many miles I'm getting to the gallon and, and how much further I can go before it's empty. It's 
comfortable. It's better. But you know, New Hope, you and I are a lot more like my 85 Volkswagen than we are like my minivan. What, what I mean is this, you often don't know that you need rest, retreat. You don't know when you need to recover and recalibrate, do you? Our bodies don't have gauges to tell us all that. You don't have a delicate system of sensors that, that constantly lets you know whether you're okay or not. Your Apple Watch can't do that for you. Sure, it's certain that you can tell when you're exhausted. Your body starts to send alarm signals, right? You can get sick or, or your temper gets shorter or, or, or you feel depression start to settle in or you start falling asleep at the wheel. Those are alarms to tell you that you're exhausted, but that's your body telling you that you're on red already. By the time some of us start to realize that we're really overtaxed and we're not doing well, we've already been in that state for too long. So, so weekly, intentional days of rest, they are meant to keep you from getting to that point and from living in that state. God does not want you hitting a wall and then saying, oh, I need some rest again and again and again. He knows how dangerous that is for your mind, for your body, for your soul. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a 20th century pastor, and he also happened to be a physician. He said, the greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And there are great illustrations of this in scripture. Now, he goes on to point to examples in the Bible. One he points to is in 1 Kings 19, where we see an exhausted prophet named Elijah. Elijah ha had just experienced an epic confrontation with the prophets of Baal, a successful confrontation with his enemies. A, a queen had just sworn to, to have him killed. He had to run for his life. 120 mile trip, apparently. And eventually at the end of all this, this crazy week, he finds himself coming undone. He is worn out and he asks God to let him die. He reaches the point of wanting death. And in this suicidal state, he cries out to God. You know what God's response is? to his broken down, worn out prophet. God says, you need some sleep. You need some food. God literally says to him, the journey is too great for you. And that's true of us. The journey of life, even the journey through each week, it's too much for us sometimes. We underestimate our weakness. And so like Jesus in Mark 6, God says to Elijah and to you, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. Rest a while. 
one of the great things about the Old Testament Sabbath is that you always knew when it was coming. It was like clockwork. When God told his ancient people to keep the first day or the, 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 the one day in seven, the seventh day, holy, it was a constant reminder of, of their need and their, their weakness. And it wasn't just a reminder, it protected them from themselves. It protected them from the demands of their work. The Sabbath gave God's ancient people rest, even when they didn't know they needed it. And that's what the Sabbath principle can do for us. It can give us rest, even when we don't know that we need it. But here's the second reason I want to encourage you to establish a rhythm of Sabbath rest in your life. It's because you need more than just physical rest. You need more than just physical rest. In Matthew 11, verse 28, these words that Mark just read to us, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find what? Rest for your soul. Rest for your souls. We need more than just rest for our bodies. We need rest for our souls. I, I sent out a link uh, this week to you, uh, a link to a sermon. Um, and I don't know how many of you uh, took the time to listen to it, but I'd highly recommend you listen to that message this week if you're able. It's by Tim Keller. And in it, he states something that I, I tried to communicate last week, but he does it so much better than I could. He says, we don't just need rest from work. We need rest from the work underneath the work. We need rest from the work underneath the work. And what he's talking about, it, he's talking about what goes on in our hearts that drives our work. And he's saying, you need rest from that from that turmoil in your heart that drives you to keep going when you should stop, that gives you no rest. He's talking about what goes on in our hearts. And, and he goes on to quote a woman named Judith Shulevich, who, who's a, a writer for the New York Times, who wrote, uh, she wrote this, that, that so often underneath our work, what's driving us, is, quote, the internal murmur of self-reproach. The internal murmur of self-reproach. It's that nagging voice that tells you that you must prove yourself, that you have not done enough, that you must redeem yourself with your work. I said last week, work can seem like a great way to validate your existence, doesn't it? It, it feels like a great way to, to prove that you matter, to, to make yourself seen and noticed. You may want to prove yourself by doing something big, or you may want to prove that you're needed. You work to prove that your skills and you are important. 
or you may just want to prove that you can provide for yourself and for your family, that you're able, that you're faithful, that you're enough. But that internal murmur, it just keeps telling you that you haven't done enough yet. That internal murmur is never satisfied. And the fact is that a day off from work here and there is not going to quiet that voice. Not even a vacation will, or even a three-month sabbatical. Not even retirement can fix that problem. In fact, you can take time off and still come back and live exhausted and fatigued by that internal murmur that keeps saying you haven't done enough. Jesus offers you rest from the work underneath the work. Jesus offers you rest from all that effort to prove your worth to yourselves, to others, to God. He offers rest for your soul. You know, Jesus performed like we never could. Every task and mission that his father gave him, he carried out to the end perfectly. He loved God with all his heart, all his soul, his mind and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He even suffered perfectly, even though his suffering was undeserved. The judgment that he endured was what we deserved. Jesus put in such work on that cross. He carried the weight of the sins of a multitude that no one can number. He held them all right on his shoulders and he carried them to the grave. He did that kind of work. And when he died, what did he say? He said, it's finished. It's finished. When he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. The work 100% satisfactorily completed. Nothing to add to it. It is done. Everything needed to make you acceptable to God, to make sure that you are approved, to give you a name, it's all done. That means that if you come to Jesus, if you've believed in him, there is nothing to prove anymore. That internal murmur, you can ignore it. And by God's grace, he can shut it up. Because when God looks at you, united to Jesus, he says the work is done. You can rest. Stop hustling to make a name. You have a name. I know your name. I wrote it in my book a long, long time ago. You can rest now. Some of us maybe are saying, I I know all that. But I find it so hard to believe it functionally like to actually live as if it's true. And that, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, this is where the Sabbath comes in. Because Jesus, who who by the way, called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, 
which means the Lord of rest. Isn't that great? He calls himself the Lord of rest. He knows how difficult it is for us to internalize this truth that all the work is done, that he completed all the work necessary to make us approved and accepted. Because he knows how hard it is for us to accept that and to rest in his finished work, he gives us Sabbath. Sabbath can help us here. This practice, it can help shape us into people who truly rest in Jesus. You see, the habit itself can help form us into people who believe that the work is done and that we have nothing to prove. As we stop weekly, as we hit pause, step away from our work, the Lord can use that to train us like children slowly to believe the work is done. I can rest in Christ. By simply resting from our busyness, by resting from the, the whatever to-do list we have in front of us, we're training ourselves to find soul rest. God is training us to find soul rest. I want to encourage you, New Hope, to think about the Lord's Day, Sunday, this day, when, when most of us, not all, but most of us already find ourselves free from our regular jobs. Now, I said before, the, the New Testament never calls Sunday the Sabbath. It does call it the Lord's Day, though. It, it's the day, the first day of the week, when our Savior rose from the grave. And it's also that day of the week when, when the first generation of Christ's followers gathered to worship together as local churches. And Christians have been gathering on this day ever since. So, so New Hope, why not make Sunday, if you haven't already, a day of rest? That, that will, for many of us, require some sacrifices. It'll require rescheduling. It'll require reprioritizing. But it is worth it. If we commit ourselves to finding true rest on the Lord's Day, we'll find freedom in that. I'm encouraging you, New Hope, to establish a habit of resting on Sundays and, and gathering with the church for Lord's Day worship. Every Sunday to regular, I know there's irony in me saying this when I'm, for, I'm at home right now, but I think that's, that's God's sense of humor, perhaps. But to, to, I'm all encouraging you to regularly get to church with your family, if you have one, to worship God in the community of his people. And let that become so fixed week to week that you don't need to decide whether or not you're going to church. You don't need to reorganize your schedule to see if you can make it because it's already decided. Instead, aim to let the Lord's Day gathering become as frequent and as habitual as showing up for work on Monday morning. Because Sunday gatherings are an opportunity for us to be reminded of who God is, to even remind each other of who God is. That's what Hebrew says. To, to not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. Some have the habit of doing that. He says, no, form a new habit. The new habit is not to neglect, but to prioritize the gathering of ourselves together. 
so that we can stir one another up, remind one another of who God is and what he's done so that we can sing about what he's done so that we can reflect on his finished work as we hear his word read to us and preached, as we come to the table, we are reminded of who we are, that we have nothing to prove, that we rest in his finished work again and again and again, and that new hope shapes us. Beloved, um, allow the, the worship gathering to be the regular fixed feature of your Sunday from week to week. And then organize the rest of your day around that. That's my counsel to you. It's no coincidence that the Lord's Day is the first day of the week, you know. It's strategic. Because it's a chance for us to start our week by coming to Jesus for rest. Jesus's people don't work all week and then rest at the end. No, because of the gospel, we start from a place of rest. We start from a place of approval, and that's captured in Lord's Day worship. When we stand before the risen king who did all the work necessary on the cross and he rested, the Bible says that he not only rose from the dead, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what did he do? He sat down. He rested. And we have the chance to begin our weeks, every week, by coming before our risen king to find rest in him. What a way to start our week. I want to avoid legalism here in New Hope, because I know that for some of you, you have jobs that require you to work on Sundays. I'm glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. It serves many of us. Or many of you maybe have family obligations that, that make it really hard for you to find rest on Sundays. I get that. For me, personally, Sunday is not a full day of rest. It's, it's very much a work day for me. So I can relate to that. And so for us, for whom Sunday is an unavoidable work day, Building habits of Sabbath can be as simple as identifying another day, identifying a day next week and not working the way you normally would on that day, and then seek to do the same thing the day on that day the following week. But for many of us, resting on the Lord's Day is possible. It is, as long as we're willing to say no to some things. Parents, we teach our kids to work hard, don't we? As we should. We want them to have that strong work ethic. Are we also passing on to them a strong rest ethic? Are we teaching them to rest the way the Lord Jesus teaches us in his word, to cease? The, the Lord's day provides us an opportunity to do that. It's a teaching tool. So parents, Dads, especially you, I want to encourage you to lead your households in this by example and by instruction. Teach your households to surrender their responsibilities to Jesus and step away on this day and to find freedom 
in that. There is freedom to be found. There's a freedom of conscience to be found when you know that you're not responsible to do your homework on Sunday. You don't have to. You're not responsible to take care of that to-do list on Sunday. There are other days of the week for that, but I'm going to rest. I'm going to be with my family, and I'm going to be with the family of God. And I don't need to feel guilty about that. I'm not slacking. I'm walking in obedience to the God who made me and designed me to abide by the Sabbath principle. Our souls need worship, but they also need solitude. Solitude. When we look at the life of our Lord Jesus, how did he find rest? The Bible says that, yes, he would gather with his in, in the synagogue on Saturdays. He would worship with the community, but he would also withdraw to desolate places and pray. And this might be hard for many of us to find solitude. It might require discipline, not just from you, but, but from others in your life to, to allow you space to have time alone with the Lord. That's what solitude is. It's time alone with God. It's time to pray. And it's time also to simply be in his presence, to reflect on the life that you're living. It's time before God to reflect on the patterns of your life, the rhythms that you've been keeping, to consider them before God and to ask, Lord, is this healthy? Is this good? Where, where do changes need to happen? A few years ago, I used to frequent a deli here near my home and near the home, the church offices. And uh, it was often really busy in the mornings. It was a popular place. And the, uh, the owner was always behind the counter. He always looked stressed. He always looked overworked. But he was also very friendly. And so one, uh, one Monday or Tuesday morning, I don't know what day of the week it was, but I asked him, how, 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 how are you doing? I, I said, business looks good as usual. And he said to me, he said, you know, I'm spending so much time working in the business that I have no time to work on the business. Spending so much time working in the business that I have no time to work on the business. Now, that might be an old cliche. It's the first time I had ever heard it, and it stuck with me. And it became a kind of metaphor for me, a metaphor for this idea that we can be so caught up in the weeds of the work that we're doing, that we lack the space to step back, get some perspective to look at whether and consider whether what we're doing is good. Whether the way we're living is sustainable and honoring to God. We need space in our lives to step back and evaluate. How am I working? What am I working for? What's driving me? What changes do I need to make? What do I need to cut out? What do I need to take on? And there's a clarity that the Lord can give us if we just cease our work, step back into a place of solitude before him and prayerfully reflect, reflect. Some of us haven't done that for a long, long time. So New Hope, I want to recommend to you, identify a day 
or, or at the very, very least, a, a chunk of a day on which you set aside your regular work, all your busyness as a discipline. Hand it all to Christ. And, and with prayerful intentionality, decide how you're going to use that day. Sabbath may look different for each of us. It's not going to look the same, of course. What, what is restful for you may be a nightmare for someone else. Some of the things that you guys do to relax, I would never want to do in my life. And vice versa. But I'd remind you of this. You need more than just time for recreation and leisure. Those things are important. It's part of Sabbath. Recreation, leisure. Whether you're watching TV or, or playing a round of golf or, or catching the football game, all those things can be relaxing and they're good. But our bodies and souls need more than that. We need worship and we need solitude. Gathered presence with God and presence with God alone. Time to reflect on him and on his gospel. There is no um, exact formula for what that looks like. There's no minute laws. I've sketched out for you what I think is a healthy starting point. But this is an invitation to come to Jesus together and alone and to find rest. To be reminded of the, of the rest that he already earned for us. He secured it. I'm convinced, New Hope. That, that as we cultivate the discipline of simply stopping regularly, coming to him, as we release our work and give it to him, he will use Sabbath to shape us into people who really believe him when he says, it's finished. It's good. And we can find true rest for our souls. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, you know how we cling to our work for dear life. We, we, we cling to, for, for, to our work for purpose and, and for validation or for survival. Lord, we even cling to the ministries that we're involved in as if they couldn't survive without us or we couldn't survive without them. Lord, wean us away from this trust in self. Wean us away, train us to lean and fall on you. Quiet the internal murmur of self-reproach. Lord Jesus, we come to you. Give us rest for our souls. Amen.